So welcome back to the Read Connected podcast. Today we're diving into a topic that I think will resonate with a lot of people. Today we're going to talk a little bit about perfectionism. Now, perfectionism is something that comes up in so many of our lives. And Chair, from a mental health psychological perspective, I wonder if you can break it down a little bit and share with our listeners what perfectionism really is. Yeah, perfectionism is when you have uh, episode two to season two about the topic of perfectionism and you record it and then you listen back to it and then you're like, oh, let's do that again. (laughs) So we're actually, uh, we're manifesting perfectionism as we talk. So perfectionism really is prevalent. You know, in season one, we talked about social anxiety being very prevalent and and perfectionism, quite frankly, is quite prevalent when it comes to, you know, people seeking out mental health support and there's a reason for that because it really cuts across different areas of mental health. And I can get into this more deeply as we go, but I want to kind of backtrack and really talk more about what perfectionism is to begin with. So, um, you know, there's there's two parts of what perfectionism is. The first part is it's it's a very intense striving for some sort of standard that the person holds. And that standard could be internal. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say, this is just coming from me. You know, nobody's telling me I got to put in all this effort mm-hmm. to perfect things. And, and sometimes people will say, you know, it's external, you know, it could be pressures from society or from, you know, other people in their life. And sometimes it's both. Usually it's a, a bit of both in some ways. Um, but there's also this intense distress that comes from not living up to those standards. And, you know, as you can assume, you're never going to live up to a perfectionistic standard all the time, um, maybe ever, because we got to think about it. Is perfection really a thing? It's an abstract idea. Does anyone ever feel like they're really perfecting something? Or are they reaching some sort of close to a standard, but they're not quite getting there? There's a concept called asymptote, uh, I believe in geometry, where it's like it's a curve that almost gets to the top, but it never quite gets there. Mm. So in a lot of ways, you know, is there really such a thing as perfection? And uh, I'm not sure if there really is. So you, you never really feel like you're getting there. Yeah, I like to say that that we always are approximating as much of perfection as we can. We're trying to get as close to what our ideal is in whatever we're aiming for. So in, in my work, especially with learners, those who might struggle with executive function skills, they might have this high capacity to be able to take on big, challenging thoughts and ideas or problems But once they get started, if they find that there's something that isn't super clear, not coming very naturally, oftentimes they work themselves up so much that they shut themselves down and they can't even get into the work at all. And it becomes this analysis paralysis sometimes where they're over complicating something that might be more simple because they can't find that entry point to get into it and to get started. Definitely, Lex. You know, I'm sure you see this all the time in education and academics. Um, you know, those who really want to, you know, get the best grade and and prove kind of how how smart they are or what they're capable of, and um, it's it's a big thing. Perfectionism is it's a big thing, and uh, and I just want to say, you know, being a perfectionist, it's not all bad. Like there's, you know, it's a lot of things in life. It's not all one thing or the other. It's not so black and white. You know, it's it's respectable to want to grow, want to stretch yourself, want to have attention to detail and and really put in the work to make something incredible and, and achieve excellence. You know, that's something that we celebrate for a reason because it makes beautiful things in this life. 
Yeah, it's so funny. And I think it goes across all different areas and aspects of life. I work with a lot of young adults too who are trying to get into their first careers. And as they're thinking about how to present themselves to future prospective employers, they might be saying, okay, how do I prepare for a question of like, what is your greatest strength or your greatest weakness? And oftentimes that becomes a point for them to discuss. It's like, you know, I have a great attention to detail, but sometimes it's to my detriment. (laughs) And one of my colleagues and friends who you've heard on the podcast before, um, Dr. Jason Fogler always says like, we can do so much, but at what expense are we working so hard? Are we working towards that? that feeling of excellence, where is there a breakdown that's actually working against us instead of for what we're aiming for and what we're trying to achieve? Definitely. So, you know, there's healthy parts of perfectionism. And in the literature, you know, they try to make that distinction, what's kind of healthy perfectionism versus unhealthy. And like we were saying before, it's hard to know when you cross that line, when it becomes unhealthy, especially when you're getting praised and you're getting Mm -hmm. a lot of acknowledgement for the work you're doing when you are a perfectionist. And, you know, it's almost like, why would you want to give that up when it's, even if it's coming at the expense, right? Sometimes people have a hard time giving that up for that reason. It's, you know, it's so, that's such a great point. And a lot of the people I work with, they set the bar so high for themselves that when they do something their mind perfectly, they get to a point where they're like, okay, now anything I do has to be this good. And the reality in life is we can never really do 100% of everything we do. If we did that in life, you know, we're already dealing with this burnout issue and mental health and people across the board burning themselves out, doing work. People who know me might argue sometimes (laughs) that I get to that point sometimes because I put my whole self into everything I do. But, you know, it's it's going back to this idea of at what expense we can set the bar high, we can keep pushing ourselves. And I've said this before that sometimes we we look to climb the mountain. And when we see the peak of it, it's always that question of, are we okay just kind of like staying at the level we're at? Or do we need to keep climbing all the time? And I think that becomes a point of contention in a lot of people's lives. Like Like we talked about with social anxiety that, again, like you just said, you could continue to do these really great things and push yourself and work hard and develop these skills. But at some point, it's going to take over your life and it's going to be a detriment to you that it's actually going to knock you down where you might need some extra support. And then that continues this cycle of I'm not doing good enough because now I need help. And that becomes a huge issue in the work that I do that when people end up you know, showing up in my office or on, on the computer screen, that they're asking these questions for, they're, they're recognizing some of the things that are hard for them, but they're really having a difficult time acknowledging that maybe they need to take a different approach. Maybe there's another way of doing things. Maybe this isn't healthy or helpful in the context of where they are in their lives right now. So it's like at this point, perfectionism can take over and it can actually knock us down instead of help us to move forward as is the intended goal is to get better and continue to grow. Yeah. I'm not going to use the word unpack because that word is used so often, but let me um, <laughs> let me um, dissect a couple of things you, you put out there. So you had alluded to the fact that I think, especially with technology and the internet and the way that we can use technology to kind of create a reality, I think in some ways human beings can 
think that they can bend the reality of life. <laughs> or time. With time, with, <laughs> with you know, what, what we can be. And look, that we use our imaginations to invent, to innovate, to create. And that's part of being a perfectionist sometimes is you kind of see outside of the boundaries to, to extend and to do something that's never been done before. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's not always the case. And sometimes, you know, having the boundaries around reality can help ground us and to not overextend ourselves. And, and to remember that, like things with time, you know, how much time is there in a day? Things with who we are as a person, you know, you can't be everything. You know, sometimes people say, I wish I can be the most extroverted, the most intuitive, the most social, the most intellectual, the most musical, the most athletic, the most this and that, the Mm -hmm. list goes on. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there is no human being who is like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have things that balance out in our lives much as life like that you can't be everything to everyone and and to to accept the boundaries of reality is is difficult when you when you really become a perfectionist i think that's such a great point too and a lot of times in society we see the greatness we see the goats we see the instagram or the tiktok or the you know, these these depictions of what people are doing that often are filtered through a, some lens that isn't really reality. It's showing the output, showing the end goal versus the process. And I think, you know, we keep coming back to this because it's a, it's really grounding to think of what it takes to get there instead of just what the outcome's going to be. And I think, you know, especially for young people, not even young people, for adults too, it, it, it develops this unhealthy relationship with reality that when we're not working to that level, it almost seems like there's something wrong with us. There's a deficit inside of us that we're just not good enough. And I think this is perseverating this whole issue of having a healthy sense of identity, a healthy sense of self-worth that we're seeing across the board as a huge issue in mental health. And and it's popping up a lot in education, especially as, you know, I, I joke all the time with my high schoolers, who want to take on, you know, six or seven different AP courses and sophomore and junior year in high school. And I I joke, but not really. I'm like, you know, you could do college when you're in college. You know, it's awesome that you want to take on this challenge, but realize that that's not the expectation. You know, if you're at a level where, you know, some of the coursework might not be as engaging or interesting or challenging as you would like for it to be, cool, take that on. But also that that's not the expectation that you need to be doing all of this just because it's available. And I think that's probably a huge deficit in our world today that so much is at our fingertips. You know, we talk about the rabbit hole on the internet that you can get into a rabbit hole with learning about anything. YouTube's a huge issue, not because people are only watching entertaining silly, goofy things that are happening, but also because, you know, they're, they're learning cool stuff that they get to see. And it becomes this rabbit hole of like, how much can I learn? How much can I do? And, you know, these systems and social media especially are set up to get you addicted to it. And it's almost like we become addicted to perfection and we want to seek that out and do it. And to what point? <laughs> yeah, Lex, and, and learning and growing in life a lot of times comes with experience. Mm. And so as much as you're going to dive into learning something through media, through books, through this, through that, and trying to perfect something that you want to learn and know the best, know, know the most about, um, you know, like the guests have come on the podcast have talked about, and, you know, we can talk from our experience too, 
you learn so much from experience. Mm -hmm. And when you're a perfectionist and what happens sometimes is that you're doing things out of fear, Mm. fear of the failure, fear fear of not being good enough, rather than doing them because you want to do it, you want to pursue it and you're enjoying it in some ways or you're curious. It's just an inherently and you know interesting experience. And, and life is complicated and hard and you're going to get knocked down many times and you're not going to know what you're doing and that's normal. But mm. when you're a perfectionist, sometimes you don't normalize that and you think, oh, there's something wrong with me. When the reality is, hold on a second, you know, first of all, you don't know what you don't know. Maybe you should go talk to someone who's been through this who can give you some perspective about what the stages are for learning and for growth and for development through life or whatever field you're in or whatever um, you know area you're pursuing. Because like you said before, you can really get fixated on the details and lose perspective. Mm. And that's when things really you know get complicated with the emotion dysregulation, with things like procrastination, which by the way... For all the parents out there, you see your kid procrastinating. Maybe they just don't want to do the work or they're distracted or they're not prioritizing the work or whatever it is. But it's possible, especially if they're anxious and perfectionistic, that they're avoiding the work. You never think someone who's procrastinating is, is a perfectionist because you're like, well, they're not working. If they were perfectionist, they'd be working, right? They would be honing in on what they're totally, doing. Totally, totally. But, but the, the reality is, you know, because we get the insight, we get to get in you know, their heads and understand what they're feeling and thinking is that they're actually avoiding it because they're afraid of failure or they don't know where to start. And, and going back to my original point, and I'll end here with this, is if you don't know what you need, if you don't know how you feel, you're not going to be able to navigate complex situations. And you're going to blame yourself for not being able to do something when the reality is, hey, maybe you really can't do it by yourself Mm. because you're human and because you're not at that level yet. You're jumping ahead and you're not recognizing what's influencing you, what's affecting you, what do you need to be able to navigate this situation or or, or where you're at. And and that is where you can navigate life. And, and, And just to wrap this up, Life is too complex to be able to say, I just got to work harder to get through it. You know, we got to be more strategic in what we're doing and how we're doing it. And that's that's really real growth in, in my mind. And such a great plug for the work that I do. But I want to go back to that point you made before about finding enjoyment in the things that you're working towards. You know, oftentimes people that I work with who are perfectionists, they really care so much about what they're doing. But at some point, it again, burns them out in the, process in the the journey of seeking whatever level they're aiming for. And I want to go back for a second because I'm curious about your experience in working with, you know, your clients and their families for some of the younger people you work with. How often do you have conversations about, you know, are you pursuing this instrument or this sport or this extracurricular, whatever it might be, or even coursework? because it's something you love and enjoy or because it's something that you feel like you're supposed to be doing? Because I think we've lost so much playfulness and joyfulness in the things we pursue, especially as young kids. You know, I feel like that leads to this added layer and level of stress and pressure and what ends up turning into anxiety and depression a lot of times. Yeah, you know, it may not be one thing or the other. It could fluctuate. You know, there could be times when people I work with, you know, they truly do love or enjoy what they're doing. And it may 
also turn into this is only for some external reward or mm-hmm. praise or the avoidance of punishment or or shame or guilt and and so you know my job is to get into understanding you know where they're at and how that fluctuates and what triggers what but you know like you said you know like for kids out there too you're only a kid once mm-hmm and, you know, I, I say that a lot because, you know, you can't like go back in time. There's no Benjamin Button here where you can kind of, you know, reverse your age. And, you know, obviously you, you can internally, you know, recreate the joy and the openness and the playfulness of, of childhood as you get older, which is a beautiful thing. And like you always say, Lex, like we should always embrace that as humans. Mm. It's, it's a beautiful part of life and living that we have to embrace. Um, but you know, certainly, you know, perfectionism, like I said, it cuts across a lot of different mental health areas and I can go through a few of them. Yeah, please do. Sure. Like, you know, social anxiety, we already talked about that last season, but the there's this comparison of yourself to some ideal. And the ideal is, you know, how you feel like you should match up with other people. There's a lot of inferiority, you know, fears that people have with social anxiety. But, you know, the perfectionistic part of this is I have to be perfect in some way with some ideal. And that creates a lot of distress. I always say that's that's like such a burden to carry with you. Like you need to be the best all the time. I need to, you know, I, I, the analogy that I use is that like on a computer, you have all the tabs open that even though your computer's functioning, you're able to do the thing you want to do. There's so much going on in the background that it might slow things down or just like burn it out faster than it should. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing just in society these days. Totally. And, and you know, so much has so much of interactions through, you know, technology and social media has become so well crafted, so, you know, uh, structured that we lose touch with the, the ebb and flow and what I like to call kind of the jazz of interacting with people. Jazz is for those you don't know. It's you know it's improvisation between you know different people where you know you're kind of feeding off of each other. You're kind of bouncing things off of each other. It's free flowing, and that's a lot of times what relationships and interactions are. So if you feel like you have this ideal you have to live up to when you're interacting with people, oh, I have to impress them. I have to you know uh, appear like I'm perfect. And and by the way, people who are perfectionistic tell me, oh. I think everybody else thinks I have it all together. Internally, mm. I'm dying inside because I'm so stressed out. Everybody thinks I'm so composed and I'm, I'm like perfect and competent when, you know, little did I know. But again, with, with this ideal, um, you know, if you can't learn to kind of flow with the natural course of interactions, there's creativity there. There's, you know, joking around. There's, you know. Yeah, that the, playfulness. The playfulness. And that's what makes relationships, interactions rich and fulfilling. Yeah, I would say learning too. You know, I, I've never used that as an analogy to talk about learning, but learning really is like jazz too. So you need to have the environment set up just the right way. The energy needs to be flowing. There needs to be some clarity in a goal. But the way in which you get there might look so different for different people, which is so cool. And then there's that interaction where you might see different things come up that are unexpected. And that's really where the beauty happens, in my opinion, when you're learning or collaborating or working with others, regardless of the context. 100%. And so there's other you know, areas in mental health where perfectionism comes up, um, things like eating disorders, where the, you know, the body image, is, there's some sort of ideal that could be cultural or some other you know, version of that that's really kind of feels unattainable. Even depression, you know, depression a lot of times theoretically comes from your life not living up to some standard and feeling hopeless to reach that standard. Mm-hmm. 
right? And, and you know, losing something that you felt like was the ideal and having a hard time grieving that. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder, which is OCD, you know, feeling like things have to be a certain way and there's this kind of uh, triggered alarm that goes off when things don't feel, quote unquote, perfect in a certain way. And then generalized anxiety, which essentially is just a whole lot of worry and a worry in terms of, uh, you know, how, you know, are things going to work out? Is everything okay? Uh, am I going to be able to do something and worrying a lot about that? And, 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 and if not, you know, that ideal of how things should be in life and how things should work out is, is not going to be okay. So it really cuts across a lot, you know, and the, the interesting thing about psychology and mental health now is, you know, we're really trying to kind of find these underlying factors that cut across all different, you know, mental health labels or disorders to kind of get at the heart. And because a lot of times there's overlap, you know, people with depression also have anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's not like, like most people do. It's not like you're just depressed or you're just anxious. Usually these things overlap. Um, and so it's good to kind of get under these, get to these underlying, uh, you know, factors and, and to treat them. And we can talk more about what to do uh, later on about that. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. But I, I want to just kind of press pause on this for a minute because there's some underlying factors that kind of run through all of those uh, mental health challenges that you just described. And I think a lot of it is fear, some some aspect of change or some fear related to that change. And then also this sense of control or lack of control. Right. And, and thinking about perfectionism, I think a lot of times people, and I can bring myself back to times where I exhibit perfectionistic characteristics, right? Because I would be a hypocrite not to say that sometimes I do. Um, people who know me well know that, you know, sometimes I go a little overboard on things because I really care about the things I put my heart into. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the sense of control is that, you know, when you might feel that there's a lack of something in some aspect, whether it's clarity or you begin to compare yourself to others or to other bodies of work that you're contributing to in some way, there can be this like, I need to make it so perfect. I need to do something that's extraordinary. I need to do something that's different. And I think this overexposure to what is available and out there makes us constantly question our actions and our work that might lead to this sense of perfection. So there's there's the fear attached to changes because when things are changing and unpredictable, we might try to over control and mm-hmm. try to make things perfect. And then there's a sense of comparison that, well, what am I doing that's different or unique? And why am I even doing it if it's not going to be exceptional or it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, I experience this sometimes in writing because there's so many brilliant thinkers out there doing so much great work. And there's an NPR um, episode I listened to once that was talking about creativity and how nothing is really original anymore. Everything's just a variation of something Mm. else. And creativity becomes an expansion versus a creation. Mm. And I think that's really difficult for people who struggle with this idea of perfectionism because it's like, how do you get there? And I don't know. I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, like I can give an example. So public speaking tends to be something that um, I think most human beings are afraid of. I don't know (laughs) if it's true or not, but there's a kind of old adage like people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death. Mm. Um, (laughs) Not sure how true that is, but you know, certainly it's scary. Yeah, probably some level. It's definitely true for most people. Yeah, and like Jelani said in in the first episode this season, you know that like when you're a creative person, you're very vulnerable. You're putting your your yourself out there, Mm -hmm. and, and you know your your creativity out there to be critiqued for sure and so you know your point is let's let me put it this way 
what needs to be quote unquote perfect is not always accurate in the mind of the person who wants everything to be perfect. Mm. So if someone's writing a paper, for instance, and they're just kind of overdoing it and everybody else is like, wait a minute, like, why are you overdoing that? That's not necessary. Your responsibility is not to change and perfect all these different aspects of the paper. Your responsibility is for it to be completed. And the fact that it's um, taking forever is is not actually upholding the real responsibility that you have. And I think you know if you can shift your mind from thinking your responsibility is to make something that's going to wow everybody to the nth degree, that's going to be the most earth-shattering thing ever. Then you know you can shift the paradigm from from that responsibility to let me complete it in a way that's great. And the same thing with public speaking. I'll go back to that. Is you know, I always ask this question. I'm like, when you're public speaking and you're anxious about it, and, and a lot of times people will say yes when I ask them this. Are you imagining that like the best thing that can happen is everybody stands up and gives you a round of applause, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like in a Christmas story when he, you know he gives a speech and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, Ralphie, Ralphie, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And and I think there's this unrealistic i think expectation of you know how things can turn out when it doesn't have to be like that and they take all the pressure off yeah perfectionism is all about pressure and my job is to help to relieve that pressure but it takes time it's not like i can just say hey you know he's up chill out and that's mm-hmm. what most people will say to them mm-hmm. and it's not really effective because it's more than that and that's why you know therapy is great to be able to dig in and to understand and to validate and and to you know understand the person's perspective and how they got to where they are to to change it but it's all about that pressure that pressure is you know it becomes so intense to the point let me make this point to the point that a lot of times people self-sabotage too. Mm-hmm. I hear this a lot. You know, if they're so afraid of failure and they imagine, oh, I have to be able to do everything. I have to be able to, you know, um, do this extraordinary thing in the future and I'm afraid I won't be able to do it. All of a sudden they start self-sabotaging and it takes them time to realize that they're doing it because mm-hmm. it's not conscious always. Yeah, there's so many. there's so many parts to that too. You know, there's the self-sabotaging through procrastination like okay if I wait till the last minute to do this and if it's not perfect that's okay because I waited to the last minute I've got like a built-in baked-in excuse mm-hmm. right I could be like oh it wasn't my best work because I only had so much time or I had so many other things going on and sometimes we'll, people will pack their plates so that they have that as an excuse kind of like a scapegoat to, to diffuse some of the pressure, but it really doesn't take away the stress that people are carrying with them into that moment to get to that point of being done with something. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And there's there's many ways people can self-sabotage. And it can be very subtle sometimes too. Yeah, and that, that pressure thing, I almost want to have like a dial that we can turn down societally, <laughs> right? Not just for individuals, but for everybody to be like, can we just like dial it back a little? Because the reality is, is that not everybody can write and publish like five books in a year or, you know, put together the best performance ever and, you know, travel around and do a solo show for stadiums. Only a select few can maybe do that and pull it (laughs) off. Um, 
How did John Mayer pull it off, by the I way? I have no idea. He's, he's by himself <laughs> in the garden, like with so many people by himself. I'm like, that's that's a solo acoustic show is, is for like a little cafe. That's impressive. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. But the, you know, the pressure that we put on ourselves to get there, I can't imagine what that process must have been like for him to get to that point. But I think that most people in our daily lives are seeing every performance, every task, every assignment as that sold out stadium show, which I think is where this unrealistic ideal is coming into play and really working against so many people and and just establishing this like dark cloud of stress and anxiety and often depression that's just getting in people's way. Yeah. Look, I mean, if you're going to tell me that, you know, you have to be able to be in that position where you're doing the most incredible thing ever. And, you know, my answer, and they think like, I can't do that. You know what my answer is? Like, hey, you're right. You can't do that. (laughs) Not right now, at least. Maybe in the future, if that journey takes you there. But take the pressure off now. Be where you are. Be in the process of where you are. You're getting ahead of yourself. And perfectionistic people tend to get ahead of themselves, which creates that pressure in the first place. It's like, whoa, you you know, you're actually right. You're not not there yet. And, And that's okay. Can you learn to accept that? Yeah, you know, and from an ADHD and executive function perspective, that's so important that, you know, sometimes just people in general, but especially those who have challenges with executive function or attention deficit, that it's very difficult for them to see into the future, Mm. right? So as much as I advocate Mm -hmm. for being present, sometimes it's too much present in that, like, I need to do it all right now. I can't do it later. I can't break it apart. And really that's what, you know, turns up that dial of pressure. Like, I got to do this right now. I got to do it all by myself using only the skills that I have right here in this moment. And the minute that they, they approach something that seems like the demands are just way higher than their resources is the minute things to shut down. And again, you know, that, that emotional affective network in the brain, the limbic system just picks up and they're like, uh-uh, you can't do this. And then this narrative, the inner narrative starts up and starts putting you down and getting into your own head. And, and a lot of times, a lot of the people I work with who end up in this cycle, they're really just, just consuming so much energy and so many resources in their own narrative in their heads that is just occupying every possible way that they could problem solve and be strategic to get themselves out of their own way and figure out a different path forward. Totally. You made such a good point about uh, having a hard time, you know, putting things into perspective and staying where you are and, and instead of just assuming everything should happen now, mm-hmm. which also, you know, social media has made everything a now, 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 you know, experience, unfortunately, in, in ways that we may never really understand. You know, this is all new, the way social media for the past 10, 15 years. Um, so, you know, you talked about like the, this ideal, this ideal image of like someone else who's out there who's doing something better than you. Mm-hmm. Be inspired by it. Mm. Inspiration doesn't have to create pressure. It could create passion and drive and motivation. And by the way, like Mia was talking about enjoyment, you know, mm-hmm. Mia from episode two about hockey, the enjoyment, you know, be inspired. Don't, don't feel like, oh, I'm inferior to that person or, you know, put them on a pedestal. You know, first of all, you know, that's just going to create pressure. And also, when we look at the best of the best, the goats, doesn't everybody else matter besides the goats? 
Listen, I don't know. As you just said that, I'm picturing like the actual animal of a goat. And I'm thinking about like goats eat a lot of garbage. They serve a really important purpose. So one of our shared clients actually just purchased a goat and was talking about (laughs) (laughs) to be determined in future conversations. But, you know, and I was like, why would you get a goat? And they're like, well, they eat the garbage, they eat the ticks, they actually serve an important Mm, purpose. Makes sense. But, you know, like thinking about the goats in, you know, what we think about the greatest of all time. I think that they actually, they have to eat a lot of garbage to get to a point where they're serving their purpose and they find their purpose. Um, but I, you don't always see that. And I think that's what gets so lost. And, and what you were saying about social media also spawned this idea in my mind that, you know, when people are sitting down to do a task, do some work, learn something new. And as you said, they like speed ahead to try to get ahead of themselves mm-hmm. instead of being focused on the process. They say that they're sitting there doing the work mm. when really there's usually like five or six different things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I will say that when I was in high school, I used to do something very similar. <laughs> <laughs> My family and friends know this about me, that I would listen to music and I would be you know, engaging in a conversation and doing work at the same time. And like maybe it gets done, but we know through a lot of neuroscience research now, I wish I knew now what I back then what I know now, that you can't actually multitask because it's it's distributing your focus and energy across many different things, which is depleting your availability to show up and really dive into the thing you're working on. And that ends up taking longer, which depletes your energy, which depletes your focus. It's distracting you from the work. And social media is a big part of it because you're like, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? What notifications are going off in the background? Even if you turn it off, right? I know so many <laughs> students who are so mind, like, mindful about, I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode and sit down and do work. But their, their background, their inner narrative is constantly going to what else is happening. Absolutely. And, and so my one of the biggest things I try to talk about in therapy and with the athletes I work with is you got to be, you got to work towards being secure with yourself. Mm. Because if you don't, there's always something else out there that you feel like you're missing out on. Mm-hmm. And it could be that ideal. It could be, oh, someone else has something else going on that I don't. And that's always going to be distracting, just like your point. You know, if there's a million things going on and you're not really doing the work, you know, I think one of the reasons why athletes can get so far is because they are secure, that they don't get distracted by that. They're When they're in, tuned in, they're tuned in. And they do it because they're absorbed in what they're doing and they enjoy it. And again, like, even if you're not the greatest of all time, I just want to get this in here. Like, you matter. Mm. Everyone matters. Mm. Everyone is unique in their own way. They have something to contribute to the people in their lives, society, the people around them, or whatever they're doing in different ways. And just because someone like Kobe Bryant, who, you know, look at his documentary, he said there was a point in his career when, you know, he, 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 he said, I have to make an incredible amount of sacrifice mm. to get where he wanted to be. And that included time with his family from what he talked about. And that sacrifice is not for everybody. I think that downtime, that sacrifice, giving yourself a little space from the work you're doing also allows for this point of creativity, right? There's there's so much research that's popping into my head as we're having this conversation from Carol Dweck's, you know, mindsets approach and thinking about we're not just, we're not there yet. We can't have this fixed mindset of all or nothing, which we see pop up across the spectrum of pretty much every aspect of life where people are getting very rigid in their thinking around like, I either have this or I don't versus I need to work towards it. I need to get there. 
But then also thinking about um, this idea of um, how our brains are actually work working. If we're overly focused for too long on any one thing, it actually doesn't allow for this diffuse network, this diffuse mode to allow for you to have some creativity, to be able to consolidate the information you've been focusing on. And I talk about this a lot with my students in terms of studying, mm -hmm. that you know, if you're working towards perfectionism, it's not going to happen all in one sitting. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen just because you're focusing for a long chunk of time. It really is about breaking things down into smaller parts and dedicating the focus time and giving yourself time and space. There's so many new studies that are coming out saying that if you can at least give yourself five minutes in between what you're learning and what you're trying to integrate into your knowledge base, that stored knowledge, that stored memory and information to be able to use it in a different way. If you at least give yourself that five minutes, really it should be longer then you're starting to actually create new neural networks versus just like information in and out when we're just sitting there completing a task, checking off a list instead of really doing that deep learning. It's such a difference in perspective, but also in outcome. Definitely. Yeah, I, that's a, a wonderful point because think about things that are art, art, artistic and creative and like complex problems. They don't always happen or gets the problems don't get solved or the creativity doesn't happen when you're just fixated on this one thing you're like oh I got to fix this one thing I got to make it maybe and and you may spend all this time but all that other time could be wasted where you could be thinking like you said more diffusely more openly where the ideas come together and there's an integration of ideas not just one idea that you're forcing into it and that even happens with relationships right if you're trying mm -hmm. to be too perfect around people it backfires because you're like trying too hard and that you know people don't always like that because it doesn't feel natural or genuine and so you know it's, it's a good thing for us for everybody to reflect on because look everybody does that right everybody tries to you know put their best foot forward and present themselves the best but you know when you when you take it to the extreme it's uh it's it, it does the opposite of what you hope to do and and the same thing with problems you know sometimes you're trying to shove a solution to a problem and it's like well you got to pull back and see the big picture mm. integrate different ideas into the solution mm -hmm. and and that comes from a more open mindset that you that you just referred to uh, you just pointed to something that's so important and I think societally it's another issue that we have is that we have this idea of a perfect partner a perfect friendship a perfect family a perfect relationship. And, and often, again, it's this approximation of perfect. We always need to have some room for flexibility because it's we're never going to achieve that. And if we keep seeking that, we're going to actually isolate ourselves a lot by just seeking that. Because everybody has such different perspectives and experiences and, and aspects of themselves to offer that just because it's not what you think you're looking for, what you think you need in a learning experience, in a mentorship, in a relationship, whatever it might be, you might miss a lot of really important opportunities because, again, you're just focused on whatever you think that version of perfect is. Mm -hmm. So let's let's jump in a little bit about you know how we can support people who have this kind of tendency to become perfectionistic. And again, I want to really point out it's not a bad thing to be perfectionistic. You know, there's let's say adaptive and maladaptive parts to to a lot of things in life, and this happens to be one of them. And I'm going to actually press pause and say. You know, this term perfectionism, perfectionist, 
it, it has both a negative and positive connotation. And I want mm. us to be so mindful of this. Anybody who knows me, and if you listen to the podcast, you know, I'm not a huge fan of labels. Like if I mention them, it's in reference to a characteristic that people exhibit in their lives. And oftentimes, you know, like you're saying, perfectionism it could sometimes work to our advantage and sometimes it can become over-consuming and take over and really be maladaptive. It's not helping us in a positive area of growth in terms of development. Definitely. I mean, and, and you got to go through life and learning to trust yourself. That's part mm. of this process. And the only way you tr trust yourself is as you step into the uncertainty. And, and, and a lot of times it's trial and error. And, and that's not being uh, an extreme perfectionist where you, you can't tolerate the ambiguity. You can't tolerate that trial and error process. So, you know, first things first. So we, you and I probably take the same approach here. Let's first get clear about what it means to be successful, what it means to be a failure. Mm. And, and maybe even take that that completely off the table in terms of saying, this is success, this is failure, this is success, this is failure. Maybe, maybe even considering that we take those names off the table because they're such highly charged words in the first place. Totally. You know, And they mean such different things to different people too. Right. So, so first we really want to get in touch with that and what that means to people. And... Because that's going to really uh, dictate, you know, how people feel. Because as we talked about in episode um, nine from season one about emotions, our emotions come from beliefs, and those beliefs get triggered in different situations. And I'm going to I'm going to add in too, in case it's helpful for the listeners to use different language. A lot of times, I'll I'll use the terms like, "Is this helpful? Is this not helpful? Is this enough? Is this not enough? Is this?" complete is this not complete right sometimes we can change the level that we're aiming for without taking out the rigor from the experience like we could still be working towards you know a certain goal or a certain level of achievement but it doesn't necessarily have to be as you said as charged as like I'm a success I'm exceptional uh, you know I'm, I've achieved excellence it really could mean something different and, and to be quite honest it means different things at different points in our life too Definitely. And, and, you know, if we're going deeper here, it's going to lead you to your belief about yourself. Because mm -hmm. as you alluded to, and we talked about, you know, there's an underlying fear that everybody who's human carries around, like, am I enough? Am I enough? Am I enough? And, you know, the idea of success and failure really funnels into that belief about ourselves. So, you know, I really want to understand that, that, that aspect there too. And so, uh, again, re redefining success and failure. I can give you like an example that I think relates. You know, go, going on dates with people, it's, it's, there's a lot of pressure attached to it. Everybody who's been on dates, you know, it's just part of it. There's, it's just there's uncertainty. You know, you don't know how it's going to work out. And like, you know, you're meeting the person for the first time. Sometimes you know them, sometimes you don't. And when I talk to my patients about dating and, um, you know, they, they talk about it a lot of times in terms of success or failure. And, and so I try to encourage a different paradigm. Is it success or failure or is it, and, and a lot of times the success or failure comes down to, did you get that person to like you? Mm. And, I, and I say, wait, wait, why does it have to be that way? How about we get back to the basics of your own process of, of your life and you know, self-realization and, and try your best to just be yourself mm -hmm. and to see if that person's a good match for you. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is no success or failure. It's just the reality of, hey, is this a good match or not? 
And the only thing you got to do, maybe the only idea of success or failure is, did you show up to be mm-hmm. yourself? And and like maybe you can't always show up to be, you know, truly yourself all the time because of circumstances and so forth. But like, let's take that whole idea of success and failure off the table. You know, and the same thing with athletics. You know, Ken Revisa wrote a book, Heads Up Baseball. When you're up bad as a baseball player, there's a ton of uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You don't know what pitch is coming. You don't know, you know, what's going to go on in, in the situation. But his whole thing was have a plan. You know, have a plan of what you're trying to do up there and and, and commit to that plan. Mm-hmm. So the same thing in life, and you and I have been talking about this, you know, just show up the way you want to show up being your genuine self and being present with that. And sometimes doing that, you got to feel like that is enough. Yeah. Showing up the way that you want to show up. And that that could be your process rather than trying to perfect all these things. Put your energy somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Perfectionistic people put their energy so much in this one place. And, 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 and I just sometimes suggest put that energy somewhere else where it could be more fulfilling and, and make more sense. Yeah, I actually think a, a, a good balance between vulnerability and security is a nice place to live, right? You know mm-hmm. who you are, but you're also in touch with the things that don't always work well. And showing up to be authentic, I think is really important. But I, I really love the analogy of, of baseball. And anybody who knows baseball knows that, you know, a batting average, even if you don't know baseball, you've probably heard this, that you know, a batting average is out of a thousand. And if you look at some of the best batters of all time, you know, their batting average is maybe around like 600, 700, even, oh, even lower. Jerry's giving me three fingers, 300, <laughs> <laughs> right? But like you think about it, maybe I don't know baseball as well as I pretend I do. That's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> and that's okay. We're all right? learning. Yeah, exactly. Great, great point. Um, but I think, you know, once we once we realize that like batting a thousand and being like the absolute absolute best is not ever the expectation in baseball. Like if a if a player was not batting close to a thousand, they're not gonna get kicked off the team. They're not gonna be, you know, you know, taken out of the lineup. It's always gonna be a process. And and I like this idea of like, you know, can you show up and, you know, maybe just aim for ten percent different. 10% better. Even if it's 1% different and better if you're working on yourself, that's not a bad place to be. To have this expectation that you're going to try to be 100% better than you were before, you're going to get let down every single time. And I think it's it's changing the expectations, it's changing our sense of, you know, like you said, this idea of what success really is and what it really means. I think that's so important. You know, I've been watching a a new show about a band and there's a tour manager on the band. And I think the same about, you know, Broadway shows with a stage manager. You know, how often do they get a standing ovation for how they're holding all the pieces together of things, Mm -hmm. right? And they're often the ones that are noticing the things that aren't working well and making little tweaks so that others can shine. I wish that those were some of the people that got the spotlight, that really get this idea of like, wow, this is awesome that you noticed that this was wrong and you made this change because look how it benefited in the long term versus just seeing the performers on the end, you know, in their um, their final performance and how well they did. Like, why are we not celebrating those who are helping with the little tweaks along the way, the mentors, the coaches, the guides, even when things don't work out perfectly, when you're not, you know, 
the getting the awards or winning the World Series? Can you still celebrate these small little shifts and changes of improvement over time? Yeah, and and let's take that a step further. Why don't we celebrate the people who are out there enjoying something and doing great at it at the same time? Or not doing great, but just enjoying it. Sure, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And even, look, I mean, think of uh, for basketball fans, Kemba Walker, he's always considered one of the best teammates and he's always got to, you know, he's just enjoying what he's doing and, you know, mm. in college he won a championship, but in the NBA, he didn't get too far in the playoffs and all that, but he still showed up. Mm. It's for, as far as I don't understand. I don't. I never met him. I love to meet the guy. He seems like a, a great guy. But it's a good plug. Let's um, get him on the show. Yeah, but like <laughs> you know, he he embraced something, something that he valued clearly, and his teammates appreciated him. And you yeah. know, if he looks back on his career, I, I, I'm I would put my I would bet that he's gonna feel fulfilled with that, and the people around him are gonna feel fulfilled feel fulfilled as well, because I'm sure you know, this is kind of uh, wrapping around this point is. It's good for us to see ourselves holistically. Mm-hmm. You know, we can identify with this one thing. And like we said, if you're you're getting all the praise for being amazing at something, maybe you're a piano player, maybe you're, you know, an athlete, and everybody praises for how good you are. And and the truth of the matter is, you're more than that. Like Mia said at the end of uh, the podcast, you know, last last episode, you know, at the end of the podcast, she goes, "Oh, just remember, you know, you're more than an athlete." Yeah, it's very hard to remember when you're in the thick of it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And so we need people in our lives to pull us back and to see us for who we are holistically because we're more than one thing, but we got to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. We got to see even within what we're doing, right? Like you may be an athlete who feels like you're the best athlete on the team and you're performing the best, but maybe you can be a leader and you mm-hmm. don't even realize that because nobody's pointed it out to you. Mm-hmm. And I work with some athletes. I'm like, hey, you know what? You have some characteristics that I think that would be good leadership qualities. Let's embrace that. Do you want to embrace that? Mm. That could be a good aspect of yourself that you can enhance that you never knew existed, didn't know, you know, was there. But hey, how important is that? And, you know, at the end of the day, the people who are phoning over you and giving you all this praise for how good you are, they may not care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Afterwards, when mm-hmm. you retire, when you're done doing what you're doing, when you step off the stage, yeah, you know, they they may not be real relationships. And Damian Lillard, he's an NBA player, and uh, he he talked about this recently, where he said, "Look, at the end of the day, I don't need a championship ring to prove myself to anybody. I have real relationships with real people in the community that I live in. He talks to his family every day. You know, he has friends that are really close to him, and he says, you know, that fulfills his life." And that when he steps off the court, he's going to compete and he's going to want to win. It doesn't mean he doesn't want to win. This is a key thing. When I talk to perfectionistic people, they're like, well, like if I pull back, then I'm not going to work as hard. I'm going to get lazy. Mm. And you know what I say? Nope. Never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's in you <laughs> to become quote unquote lazy. Yeah. And the clients I work with know that I don't love that word lazy anyway, because that's often a choice, right? It's like, I'm going to choose oatmeal over eggs this morning for breakfast. You either choose to be lazy or not. Sometimes there's stuff that gets in the way that leads to, leads to these behaviors of quote unquote laziness. But I don't, I don't see that as a, a character trait of people. <laughs> right, there's, there's factors and we have to understand yeah. what factors affect us. Yeah. That's how you become more self-regulated as a person. You learn about yourself and what affects you. And if you don't, you become impulsive, you become reactive all the time. And so a large part of our work with people is building self-awareness. How does this affect you? How does that affect you? Oh, okay, now you can understand it. So you're not just reacting to it. You're being more proactive in your life, showing up the way you want to show up. And um, 
you know, I, I think it's a great, you know, it's a great process to go through in your life to reflect on yourself and to have people in your corner who care about you genuinely, mm-hmm. unconditionally are going to, you know, appreciate you for who you are, reflect who you are and, um, and, and, and help you to have perspective. So let's break it down. We've got, you know, a whole slew of different things that can lead to perfectionism. You know, it's it's never going to be just one thing. And it's, again, this is why I don't like the labels because it, it seems like it's just the label's fault versus like understanding why this is showing up for you in your life at this point in time. And I think that's really where the work lies is to dive deep into and quote unquote, as you love, unpack where it's coming from. So, you know, it's not one thing. Oftentimes there's this, lack of trust in yourself or your skills, where maybe you don't feel practiced enough. Maybe you are uncertain of, you know, your resources in comparison to the demands that are being placed upon you or you're placing upon yourself. And then this idea, this core fear of either not being enough, being afraid of change, being afraid of not being able to show up, being afraid of being vulnerable, which is, you know, so prevalent in our, our society in general, across relationships, across situations. Um, this dis, this difficulty of that acceptance around, you know, things might not go the way you plan as much as you plan and prepare. Still might not go the way you want it to. Um, and then we have this idea of, you know, sometimes people are overcompensating that they feel like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not good enough at this, so I need to put in X amount of hours. I need to keep reworking and tweaking and doing all of this stuff until it gets to a certain point. That like oftentimes it's never enough. I say this about writing all the time that like we can constantly improve writing forever. There's often not like a dictated, like this is the end. It is perfect. (laughs) You know, there's always different shifts and changes. And the more you learn and the more you work with something, the more it's going to change and evolve. Um, and then, you know, to to what expense, you know, we, we want to just be mindful of it all and also recognize that this is a nuanced process. Everything in life, every behavior, every challenge that we take on, every goal we set for ourselves, it's always going to be nuanced and it's going to be different today than it was yesterday, than it's going to be tomorrow. And if we always go into a situation with the same expectations that are often unrealistic, we're going to see more of the same behaviors pop up, whether it's procrastination or depression or isolation or, you know, having other behaviors that are related to this. It's always going to pop up in the same way. Yeah, here's the irony. If you're perfectionistic, you don't want to admit that you have vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And the very thing that's going to help you is to accept that. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> because otherwise you're going to overcompensate. Yeah. And you're going to waste a lot of time uh, and energy into something that's not going to actually help you. It's going to, you know, either maybe it'll get you far, but you know, you might not enjoy any of it and you might be distressed and other aspects of your life may suffer as you said because you can't have it all. You can't do everything. Mm-hmm. You can't be perfect at everything and there's something always has to give and you know, Derek Jeter said in his documentary, you and I were watching, and he said, you know, he's definitely a perfectionist. He admits it. And he said, I look back on my career, he definitely feels like, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't want to change the way he did anything. You know, he really earned a lot of respect and, and inspired a ton of people, even historically, in terms of baseball and, and what he did and as a teammate. And But he said something important that stood out to me. And a lot of things just kind of ring in my head that I hear people say, and this is something he said, you know, I feel like I didn't really enjoy it, mm. you know, a lot, a lot of times. And so, 
you know, we got to be honest with ourselves. Therapy is all about honesty. And my job is to try to help people feel comfortable enough to be honest and to realize that, like, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to understand. Mm. And the more we can understand all these things going on that affect and influence you in your life, then we can help you to have freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. So with or without therapy, you know, if if you're experiencing perfectionistic tendencies, to a point where it's impacting your life, that you're not able to socialize or find enjoyment in the things you're doing or connect with people in a healthy way. If you're noticing that, obviously therapy is most definitely an area of support if you can find a good match and a therapist. But you know, let's tap into a little bit more of like what's possible that we can do as adults in in children and young people's lives, as adults in, you know, other peers' lives or as a you know, an educator or a coach or a boss in some way that is supporting others, you know, what's possible? What what can help? Well, you know, coaches, um, even parents and teachers, you know, realize that feedback and clarity is really important, mm-hmm. um, especially for people who are perfectionistic. If they lack that clarity in terms of, you know, what is reasonable to expect and how they're doing and how they're supposed to do something, then it can create uncertainty, which leads to anxiety, which leads to that kind of, uh, you know, the unhealthy parts of perfectionism, all or nothing thinking, rigidity or anxiety or fear of failure. So, you know, work collaboratively with the person to develop clarity around, you know, how are you supposed to do something? What are you supposed to focus on? What do you... Um, what are reasonable expectations? Because people who are perfectionistic may have, you know, they may be thinking things you have no idea they're thinking. Mm. And you got to kind of bring it back to, okay, wait, let's bring it back to what the reality here is so that we can work with it rather than living in some alternative reality where, you know, you're putting way too much pressure on yourself and, and be very validating from where they're coming from. And, you know, don't be dismissive about the fact that they want to do their best because, you know, it, it, you got to, again, shift the paradigm. You could be inspired and passionate and enjoy it and still put in hard work, but but also, you know, pull back from that pressure. Yeah, and I, I want to be very clear that we talked a little bit about, you know, shifting the bar a little bit, like lowering the bar in different situations. But I don't mean lowering the bar and the expectation of what's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, potentially finding a different entry point that might not be at the very end of what you're aiming to achieve. Maybe you think about the different levels of what's needed as a stepping stone working towards this ultimate goal. And I think when we're really clear about those expectations, like, hey, right now, if we're thinking about learning in terms of writing, whatever grade or developmental level you're at, it's like, hey, you know, the first task is to get all your ideas out and let's try to find a way that makes sense for you to organize them. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Let's actually get clear on like what you're thinking about this topic maybe what extra research or knowledge you need to be able to even formulate cogent ideas, coherent ideas, to put them together before you even organize them in an outline. Let's just get the ideas out. The next step is, can you work towards an outline where you're grouping information together in a way that makes sense, that you're focusing on the sequence and the order of things and how you're expressing and communicating yourself. Then the next level is is to get into the drafting. And it's not like sit down and write an essay. And it's not even starting with the introduction sometimes because sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Mm. It's like, hey, what are the main points you want to make? And can you focus on those one at a time? And then look at how they connect, how we can clarify the flow. And then go back to your intro and conclusion because then you actually have all your ideas formulated. 
oftentimes this big expansive idea of like, let's do a research project sounds really exciting in like younger grades. Like, hey, we're going to research this really important topic and the kids get all excited about it. And then they don't know where to start. And then they get totally lost and they might have the capability of doing the work, but they they can't get started because it feels like just too much. And especially those who know that they have the skills to do well, they're going to start to exhibit these perfectionistic tendencies that are going to get in their way before they even get started. Right, because they have this ideal of how things should be. Mm. And then they're experiencing something very different. They're like, wow, I'm not, I can't even get started. This is terrible. And so again, that overcompensation happens in that reality. So, and so, you know, another piece of advice is go talk to people who have been through this. Mm. In the sports psychology episode, I said, you know, a lot of times athletes don't know what they don't know until they get there. And so talk to people who have been through it if you have the access to them or just reach out to people who have been through processes to getting better at something and find out what those steps were. Yeah. So you're not jumping ahead. You're not expecting yourself to be somewhere where you shouldn't have to be at this point. And, and to, to learn about more reasonable expectations and to celebrate those things, you know, like, again, coming back to enjoyment, like celebrate each step of the way. Mm-hmm. Something Maybe you did something a little different that day, even though you're going through the same practice and, and drills and so forth. You had a little tweak or you, 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 uh, you expressed something a little bit differently. You know, Jelani said this in episode one of season two. He said... Every time I'm performing, I want to do it a little bit differently as long as it's consistent, mm. consistent with the script and what my role is and what I'm supposed to do or my responsibilities. But he always finds a way to, to, to bring some new type of energy or new kind of uh, flair to what he's doing because that's what makes it enjoyable to him. Mm-hmm. You know, so find ways to make things enjoyable and adults in kids' lives, you know, check in about the enjoyment level, you know, check in about the enjoyment level because. Kids get burnt out. Mm-hmm. I, I see it. You see it. It happens. It's mm-hmm. just because because of these things sometimes. And check in with the enjoyment level, and find ways to bring that into the process if you can. And um, sometimes that takes creative thinking to figure out how to do it. You know, it's not always straightforward about how you can help someone enjoy things more. And and sometimes sometimes just taking a different direction. You know, even if for a short period of time might be it. You know. Sometimes people got to take a break from something and come back to it and and kind of recreate that enjoyment that comes with uh, what they're doing. Yeah, and I would say probably the pathway to getting to that point is really establishing the foundational skills, right? Can you clarify the expectations? Can you give yourself enough time to organize your thoughts on whatever you're about to tackle to make some sort of plan, right? It's all executive function skills. And, and can you actually figure out like what is your progress and how do you monitor that progress, which is where feedback comes into play. And I would say that if, if we were to ask Jelani, we didn't talk about this in these terms, but he probably would have said like, hey, I got really good at my role. And my choreography was on point. I, I knew the songs really well. And that allowed for me to be creative yes. once I had that solid foundation that I was working from. That depending on the energy of the night or the audience, that he could have that little bit of spinoff or variation, that jazz that we talked about before where you can improv a little bit, but still maintain, you know, that consistency that you mentioned he talked about. Totally. You know, it's like kind of having, you know, when when 
it's like having uh, such a, a grasp on the theory and and that of, of what you're doing that you know you can apply the theory creatively in ways that make sense to the situation. I work with you know students who are engineering students and they go into the field of engineering and they always say the same thing. They say we learn all this theory about how engineering works and and the theory is in the context of all factors and variables being perfect mm. to fit the theory. And in the real world, when they go out to work, they realize and everybody tells them the same thing. You know, that theory doesn't work in re- the real world. There's too many variables that could make that theory not work. And so that's a really good metaphor for perfectionism is to to realize like it's great to have a theory and you should be very skilled at what you're doing if you want to be able to be creative because you need the foundation to. But then once you have that, you can learn and, and expose yourself to to learning how to apply it in creative ways. That's gonna you know sometimes lead to breakthroughs or creative ideas or new ways of doing things and and that's. You know, and that's also when the enjoyment comes in too, right? When you can apply something because you're so well versed in it, um, and so forth. And I would say that you know, understanding the theory is the foundational point to start from. But you need to be able to zoom in and see like these are the the core components of something, and then zoom out to see how it fits in the bigger picture. Yes. Right? That that skill of zooming in and zooming out again. This is also related to executive function that is really difficult for a lot of people because. Oftentimes they're trying to fit into a box that either they've created or they've assumed other people have created for them that they need to work within. It makes it really difficult for them to navigate, even when they are creative, as you're trying to express things in a creative way, that they feel like they still need to stay in this box, which can really stifle their approach too. So above and beyond all else, we really want to encourage, support, and teach self-regulatory skills. You know, when I talk to parents or educators or caregivers and and even individual learners, it always comes back to how can you regulate your emotions as these challenges come up, as things aren't going to go the way you expect them to. Mm -hmm. So I think one of these, these core capacities that we need to continue to develop and build is, you know, I like to say it's like the cousin of executive function is is self-regulation, that that we need to be able to support one to activate the other and vice versa. So if we can help to build those skills, helping to model calmness, problem solving, being vulnerable ourselves around others to be like, hey, that was a mistake, instead of just pretending everything always goes right. Mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, as adults in children's lives, they often look at us, whether we're a parent or a coach or a teacher, mm-hmm. as if we're superhuman. Mm-hmm. We make we make no mistakes because oftentimes I only see what's, you know, in front of the curtain rather than what's behind it. Mm-hmm. They don't always see the mistakes and the mishaps and the errors. So I always say like, if you're cooking and you're following the steps, verbalize that so they see that you're following steps. If you add like a little too much salt, you know, give them that little cue like, oh man, I put a little too much salt in here. It's going to be a little saltier than I wanted it to be, but we'll get through, right? And be like, oh, next time I'll remember not to add too much salt or I'll take it slowly the next time to get to the right amount of salt for what I'm aiming for. Right, and, and and realizing that there are circumstances and factors that lead us to not be perfect sometimes, mm-hmm. and to validate that, mm. it's so important because, like you know, people go and look at this. Sometimes people go through hard times, and they they're not their best self because of like circumstances, even traumatic things that happen, and then they start to identify as being like this flawed, terrible human being. That they look at themselves like that, and it's like, hold on, pull back. There are circumstances that happen to you. And, and and the hope is that and you can grow back into who you are, 
you know, and grow into into who you are without identifying with the circumstances that led you to, um, you know, to be in pain and to suffer. That 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 version of yourself may not be completely who you are. That's circumstantial, and, and to work through that could be great. So, you know, my main point, and, and to go back to what you said, you know, modeling calmness through the ups and downs and through the turmoil is important because perfectionistic people have a hard time tolerating the gray, mm-hmm. have a hard time weathering the storms because they can become fragile from this all or nothing thinking. And and for adults in their life to, to model that, and to, you know, even coaches, you know, like if you feel like you're you're like an intense coach and maybe that helps. And I think Danny Hurley, the coach of UConn basketball, men's basketball, he said this is, you know, in the middle of the season, he was realizing that he was being, you know, way too intense to argue with the coach, with the, with the refs. And it was distracting from his players. And he realized, well, I should probably pull back from doing that because it's distracting the players. <laughs> and the fans too, probably. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, how, how, how humble that is to, to, yeah. to say that and to do that and to say, I probably need to try different, something different. And I'm sure in some ways that models for his players, I think is what he said, that we can kind of regain our composure and, and rewrite the ship. And, and guess what? You know, they started winning. As he said, he's like, well, when I stopped doing that, we started winning more, mm. you know, and it turned out they won the national championship this year. And I'm sure that plays a small role, but it's certainly important because look, kids and, and athletes and whoever, we all look to adults. We look to people we look up to for how we should feel. Yeah. Or people we idolize or, or think are achieving at a level that we're aiming for. Right. The people around us that we admire and respect. Mm-hmm. So if we make a mistake, we're going to look to the people and say, well, how are they reacting? That determines how I should feel about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm not asking you know people like uh, parents, teachers, and coaches and so forth to become Buddhas where they're just completely <laughs> you know chill and zen out because that's not always what kids need anyway. Um, but but what I am saying is just catch yourself if you feel like you're reacting too strongly to a child or to you know someone, even a college athlete, whoever it is. If it's too strong, it might be counterproductive because it might be activating that fear. Where you know sometimes the best performances and the best growth come from not having that fear, guilt, shame, you know that Mia talked about last you know last uh, episode that when you're younger you know it's great to play without that fear, guilt, shame because you can play free mm-hmm. and you're having fun and you're doing you know you're so internally motivated and driven in mm-hmm. a very pure way. Mm-hmm. So so just you know be mindful of that. And I think it goes back to that idea you were mentioning before about feedback and clarity and feedback because sometimes we give ourselves feedback. And I always joke with clients I work with that they're sometimes really hard on themselves. They'll be like, oh, you're so stupid, you're so this. And I joke, I'm like, hey, stop talking about my friend that way. You would never say that to me, <laughs> right? Like, And the way we give ourselves feedback is also modeling how others around us should and do you know, talk to themselves and narrate their situation. So we want to we want to encourage providing constructive feedback, making sure that we're giving examples of this. I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole of this, but I think a lot of the reason why people love video games so much is because they get immediate feedback mm, right? in they, control, and they're in control, and they are able to make adjustments right on the spot. And I think that that allows for you know, a lot of freedom in their own expression of how they're navigating through these different digital environments. And I think in the real world, we need to do better at providing really clear, accurate feedback that's supportive, that's going to help people grow in a direction that they're aiming for. Um, And to that point, you know, one last thing that I wanted to mention about what's possible and helpful, though, of course, there's a lot of different strategies that we can employ here. But one that's really important, and I take this 
pretty seriously in my role as an educational therapist and executive function coach that when people ask for help, we want to be mindful to not just serve a role as like a band-aid. We almost want to think of ourselves as like starting to stitch together something that might be ruptured in some way, something that might be causing some pain or struggle. We don't want to just put the band-aid on. That might be helpful for a moment to give some support, to provide, you know, an example or to swoop in and maybe like show them how to get out of their own way. That's helpful to a point, but we also want to be mindful that we want individuals to develop these skills, to be autonomous, to do this independently, to be able to think metacognitively about the different options that are available instead of just falling into this trap of all or nothing, right? Because I think this is where a lot of the issues uh, reside and, and we're not really preparing young people to be able to, you know, to really get through those storms, to weather the storms, to get through the challenges in a self-regulated way because either they're used to other people doing it for them, mm-hmm. they're used to, you know, relying and compensating using their intelligence or their skill at the last minute. And I hear this all the time. It's like, well, wait, it's the last minute, but I got 95. I'm like, that's really working against you, actually. That's not helping. <laughs> They're like, I know, but, you know, it is what it is. But but we don't want that to happen because the stress that people carry getting to that point is just, it's really depleting people on a different level that we really need to be mindful of and do a better job at supporting. Definitely. And it's hard, I think, for adults to to gauge what makes the most sense in terms of a response to your child that's suffering. Same thing for coaches and teachers. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the kid may need you to swoop in and to kind of save the day to help them to feel safe and secure in their life. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes doing too much of that or at the wrong at, at at a time that doesn't totally make sense or in a context that doesn't totally make sense, you're kind of robbing the child of the opportunity to work through it. And it doesn't have to be that you're just, you know, saying, go deal with this yourself. It could be that it's collaboration. Mm -hmm. And by collaborating and asking the child to reflect on things, you're actually developing something very important. Mm -hmm. You're developing their own self-awareness simply by asking questions. Yes. Such an underutilized skill of parenting and teaching and coaching is asking questions allows the child to develop themselves to ask themselves these questions. Yeah, getting curious, allowing for time and space to reflect and then recognize that there might be other options instead of just one. It's so powerful and it's so important. And I do believe that it's a lifelong skill that you can use in so many different contexts and situations. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep repeating myself over and over again. Like when you see a big behavior, when you see procrastination happening, when you see people struggling to get started, Get curious, right? Just start asking some questions and and activate their brains instead of just always problem solving for them. And as well-meaning adults, sometimes we jump to that, but that's not always what's needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think this is a good place to um, put the bookmark for this episode (laughs) and for the season. And, you know, my, my last thing I'll say is, you know, when it comes to me working with people who are perfectionistic, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, as much as I'm doing all these other things we're talking about, I'm also, as I mentioned before, I want to help people to discover kind of who they are deep down inside and, and to feel good about who they are as they are. Because if you don't, I feel like that's a barrier to to growing and to learning in a, in a holistic, healthy, 
you know, positive way that, you know, sometimes catches up to people in the, in the long run. And, and my, my hope is that people have a foundation that's going to sustain them throughout their lives because they're not going to work with me their whole life, right? Mm. And, and I don't want, as you said, I don't necessarily just want them to feel like I'm going to fix something about them. I want them to kind of grow into who they are and to feel secure in who they are and to feel strong and connected as we talked about, you know, the three principles. But, um, you know, so, so, so doing that is a journey. It takes time. Mm. It takes, you know, really good, genuine, authentic relationships that I hope people can find or have or, or cultivate. And, and therapy is a good place to get that if you feel like you don't have it elsewhere. Um, and, and to, you know, that's kind of one of the underlying, uh, I would say lessons that I've learned over the years of doing therapy. Yeah. And I think it's a key principle in life in general. So as students of life, we'll we'll continue to remind ourselves that there is no such thing as perfect, even though sometimes we slip into that language, but we can continue to try and strive for whatever our version of best is than any given day and be patient and kind with ourselves as we travel through this journey. And, and what we think is perfect may not actually be what we need. So mm. keep that in mind. You know, Be very totally. careful to reflect on what you think the ideal is. And if that's actually what you deep down really want, or if that's just something else that you feel like you're compensating for or, or striving for in a way that's not um, in line with what you truly value or care about deep down inside. Great chat. More to come, Jared. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Lex. Great conversation again. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at Podcast. That's Read Connect Ed Podcast and Twitter at Read Connect Ed. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.